there's almost nothing else in at least in my world i think probably a lot of the listeners where there's something that will pinpoint a time or an emotion better than a song what can music teach us about the wild world of healthcare? according to dr stephen clasco our guest today the answer is a lot Dr. Glasgow was the president of Jefferson University and CEO of Jefferson Health during the COVID-19 pandemic. He launched JeffConnect, a pioneering initiative in telemedicine, and grew Jefferson Health from three hospitals to 14. He's the author of a new book called How the Message in the Music Can Save Healthcare in America, in which he throws back to his roots as a radio DJ in order to help the reader think more creatively about the changes that need to take place in healthcare. Today, he's getting involved in the startup scene through his work as an executive in residence at General Catalyst. We wanted to bring Clasco in for a special session with our founders because he's solved healthcare problems at the highest level and understands just how interconnected this ecosystem really is. Bonus, he tells it like it is. The conversation, which took place in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health Portfolio, was co-hosted by my colleague, Elizabeth Dale, who worked closely with Dr. Clasco at Jefferson. To kick off the conversation, here's Elizabeth with the first question. Thank you, Logan. Steve, it is so great to be with you. So let's talk about the music theme in your new book and the music in your life. I've always felt that don't see the world through a certain lens, but you hear the world and you feel the world um, through music. So tell us about your DJ Ruth and how did they lead you to a career in medicine? It's actually a really weird story because I started my career as a DJ. I was a broadcast journalism guy and uh, midnight to five on WISP. I was little Stevie Kent. Kent is my middle name. Um, and um, I won't go through the whole reason I got fired, but let's just say I got fired. And my uh, uh, my um, minor was chemistry. So I went back to Lehigh University where I went to school. And they said, well, Steve, in a weird way, you know, you could apply to medical school because, um, you know, you've done really well in, in your science things if you took the MedCats. And I said, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to be a doctor? Said, well, because you're not going to be a DJ. I said, good point. So um, long story short, I, I took the MedCats and I... I um, I was a little bit of a, uh, I was a little bit of a rebel in my first interview at Temple when I got a special delivery rejection. But my second interview at um, at Hahnemann, which is now Drexel, which I later became the dean of, um, was um, they saw that I was little Stevie Kent and it was an obstetrician. Think about this, obstetricians like I am, coming a lot from midnight to five. And he saw my, he said, you're little Stevie? I've almost missed some deliveries listening to your story. And it turns out that the head of admissions was also an OB, comes over and says, boy, it'd be so cool to have you in our medical school. And two weeks later, I was on my road to being a doctor. So, so music really wasn't the genesis of my medical career. But, but getting back to your point, there's almost nothing else, in, at least in my world, I think probably a lot of the listeners, where there's something that will pinpoint a time or an emotion better than a song, right? I mean, we always, you know, what's what's the song for our wedding or what's the song when we have a kid? So so for me, I started to use music as a way of radically communicating with our 35,000 employees, as you know. And, you know, every Friday I would send out a playlist 
through our 35,000 employees. And it really helped us during things like the trifecta of COVID and the George Floyd protests and the financial difficulties. I remember with the George Floyd protests, I would put out some songs like Voice of Colors, Curtis uh, Mayfield, and I would get I would get employees writing back, well, what about Gil Scott Heron and what about this? And it created a dialogue between the CEO and just about every employee that would have been hard to do without putting the music in the middle. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Quick follow-up question. How do you keep that sort of inspirational communication from becoming trite? How do you keep it anchored in reality so that you're pushing your team forward in their day-to-day lives? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I think the key is, is, you know, really not being superficial about it, right? I mean, I'm not doing any like uh, Captain and Tennille songs of love will keep us together. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's much more of, um, you know, it, it, what, what I would do like in, in our Friday playlist is not just put the song out just because there was a cute song that I knew the title of, but use some lyrics as, as a way to, to have people think differently. And then I'd ask some questions about it. So, you know, chapter one of my book is Courage to Change by Sia. Well, okay, that, that's pretty easy, right? It's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But no, the, it, it, it's, it's really the concept being both the traditional healthcare ecosystem as a CEO, and frankly now the founders of the places that I work with and the places you work, both have to have the courage to change. Because not too long ago, I could be running 18 hospitals and all I had to do was try to charge the insurers more and I could still be, you know, inefficient and just, you know, really costs could go up and everything would be fine. Uh, And that's not true anymore. And frankly, when I first started working with General Catalyst and Abundant Venture Partners and, and the other VCs, like in 2020, 2021, when I went over to Venture, uh, to General Catalyst, you know, it was like, why is grandpa here, right? Because you know, in 2020, if you had AI in your title, you were worth $2 billion. You know, now that they have to be scalable and sustainable, I'm like Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid, because they're all coming to me, you know, and saying, you know, what would be the communication for what we're doing to a health system CEO? So I think, I think the key is trying to not just, not just use music as a cute way of communicating, but using music as a way of opening the door for some provocative thinking that is maybe a little bit less in your face than, uh, than, than if I just said, uh, you know, I mean, I could start out with the Sebastian Thrun uh, comment, um, problem in American medicine isn't that you aim too high and fail, it's that you aim too low and exactly hit the mark. Uh, but that's a little more in your face than, uh, than starting out with Sia singing Courage Change or Simon and Garfunkel thinking, uh, singing uh, Keep the Customer Satisfied. So, Steve, I'd like you to imagine you just stepped on the elevator and you're heading up to the 48th floor of your condo in Miami. And no, we don't want an elevator speech about your absolutely spectacular view, but we want a 48th floor elevator speech about your career post-Jefferson. So my my career post-Jefferson is all about impact. And it's specifically around how can we take population health social determinants, predictive analytics, and health equity from philosophic and academic musing to the mainstream of clinical care and payment model. So we're not just talking about stuff. We're not doing studies about why there's a 
year difference in, or, or if there's a 25 year difference in life expectancy in Philadelphia, but we're actually starting to do something about it. So let's see, we're probably about the 28th floor by now. So, so, you know, what I'd say is I've been really concentrating tomorrow. I'll be giving a talk for the Forbes healthcare summit around sort of startup companies for the rest of us. It'll include Jen Schneider, who is the president of Avanga, who is now doing something around rural health and, and, and called Homeward. Um, yeah, I've been excited about a, a company where we're working with called Equip Health around eating disorders, a company out of Brazil called Genio Health around autism and their caregivers. Those are all things you wouldn't have touched if you wanted to make money. So, so the now that we're on the 46th floor, how can in places like Startup and GC, you guys look at doing well and doing good at the same time? And now the door is open. So I was in in such a great position for nine plus years at Jefferson, seeing this relentless entrepreneurial mindset, and it just permeated the place. And you created entrepreneurs to every single level of of the organization. And and in your book, you talked about the hot dog stand and. I really used to see you at the hot dog stand. So the hot dog stand for our viewers was this really great portable hot dog stand outside the main hospital that operated close to 24-7. And it was where the patients, the family, the faculty, staff, students, everybody came to, to get lunch and, and stay and you and hang out there. And you often said your decisions were more informed by being at the hot dog stand, faithfully being at the hot dog stand, then consultants, reports, et cetera, et cetera. So now for the first time in so many decades, you are not on a campus. And what is your hot dog stand now to be in touch with, with people on the ground? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And it's, it's funny you said that because I just, I just gave a talk at Schneck Medical Center in Indiana. And you, you, you know, you know, Michael Hode and John Acarius who, who, who work with me now. And, um, they said, look, you know, Steve, you don't need to like give a talk at Schneck Medical Center in, 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 the, in Indiana on a Sunday. And actually I do, because the fact is the new hot dog stand is really just getting out to community hospital CEOs, community hospital physicians, community hospital nurses, and frankly, community hospital patients. And, and seeing what's really, really going on. Because, you know, it, it's not happening in the executive offices of, of, of health systems. And frankly, it's not happening in the Bay Area and Boston, you know, in, in, in founders that, are, that think they have the answer to point solution. It's really starting to, to you know, get out, get out and giving CEOs what they need for now for, for their health system. And, and for their for their patients and their employees, right? So I'll just give you an example. One, um, you know, I just got appointed by President Biden to the National Board of Education Sciences, and and one of the one of the biggest areas is around upskilling and around culture and around what you have to teach people once they're an employee. And there's this one company that that we had invested in called Guild Education that did very little in in healthcare, but we recognize that. Keeping one nurse can be worth tens of thousands of dollars to, to a health system. And what do, what do those nurses want? What do younger employees want? They want to know the place they're working for has a mission and purpose. 
And if you remember, uh, Elizabeth, thanks to you and, and your help, we changed our mission at Jefferson from um, being the premier academic medical center in Philadelphia, which nobody other than your mother cares about, to we improve lives. So that got a lot of people to really say, hey, that's where I want to be. We made some of my incentives, some of your incentive based on reducing health equity. But then the second thing that we did is we made it clear to just about everybody that worked there that we that if they wanted to stay here, they could advance their career at our place. So this whole concept of of upskilling and 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 looking at workforce in a very, very, very different way, I think is incredibly important. And Frankly, that came out of that virtual hot dog stand of talking to nurses in, whether it was in Indiana or McAllen, Texas or whatever, which frankly is not what I think a lot of VCs do, right? I mean, you know, a lot of VCs are really hanging out in the Bay Area, Boston, New York, and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with those places, uh, but but that's not where, you know, that's not where a lot of what needs to happen happens. I, I, I remember telling one founder, because they said, you know, now we have to get debt. And, you know, I've never left MIT or Stanford. I said, well, you know, I'll tell you what, you come back and tell me when your company is really important to the three hospital system in Canton, Ohio. And he came back to me and said, where's Canton, Ohio? I said, that's exactly the problem. You know, get it. there's a thing called an atlas, get it. And, but I think that that's, that's really, that's really the point. The hot dog stand was a real hot dog stand. And as you know, I, we, we had this new benefit package one time. And you were at that meeting, Elizabeth, and the senior vice president for HR who's no longer with us. Um, but um, the benefit package was horrible. Like it was $200 deductible for pharma. And I saw, I, I had gone to the hot dog stand and people were saying, you know, President Klesko, we loved you, but you know, like it's hard for us to get our meds. And, you know, they went through this whole thing and I went to the pharmacy with one of them. So at the cabinet meeting, I said, how do people feel about our, our new benefit program? And the head of HR said, oh, they love it. So let me ask you again. And I did like three times. Well, I said, no, they don't. I said, oh, yes, they do. That's what they're I said, let's play poker here. I'll say, you tell me what your hand is. You tell me how you know they love it. I'll tell you how new I know they don't. So he very seriously said, well, I talked to my, my assistant VP for benefits, and he told me that everybody's really happy. I said, okay, that's like, that's like um, Jack High. I'm going to give you my three aces. I talked to the people at the hot dog stand and they were almost crying. So you're going to change that by next week. Well, that's impossible. Well, it wasn't when we changed it. And we also changed the head of HR. But I think, I think that that's a real fallacy in both of our world. In, in, you know, the bigger you get as a health system, the harder it is to do that. And the more people tell you how great your technology is on the founder side, sometimes you lose the fact of what it's actually doing for real people or real real health. Yes, good stuff. I, I want to shift gears slightly and get tactical about how startups can partner with large health systems, large university hospitals. Remind us kind of what your system uh, was comprised of uh, at the end of your tenure. Yeah, so we um, we did uh, seven mergers. Um, we went from two a two-hospital, one-campus university um, with three boards to an 18 hospital, two campus university, merging a design university and a health uh, science university with a Medicaid and Medicare insurance, uh, um, group called health partners with one board, that a nine and a half billion dollar entity. Um, but the other part of it beyond the vertical piece was we divided our world into the old math and the new math. And it came from my time at Apple. 
where um, the year 2000, and it's hard for younger folks in, in, in this, this uh, conversation to remember this, but it was that Apple stock was 15, about 8,700 splits ago. And no, I did not keep my options. Um, but um, uh, the fact is that everybody thought that the 20 years from then, it would be computers and operating systems. And Steve Jobs said, computers and operating systems are the old math. New math is going to be this digital lifestyle. And of course, everybody said, hey, Steve, you're either crazy or on drugs. He was on drugs. He wasn't crazy. You know, because our entire math is computers and operating systems. And as, as Elizabeth know, I, knows, I divided our, our health system into the same thing. The old math is inpatient revenue, outpatient revenue, in-person tuition, and NIH funding. The new math is strategic partnerships and radical collaboration with digital health ventures and others uh, around innovation. And I got the same reaction. Um, so, so I think that 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 we you could access us one of two ways as a founder uh, when I left. One is through the traditional means. If you wanted us to be a vendee, right? Because I had made a commitment. I'm never going to Hims again. And having 850 28-year-olds tell me if I buy their app, it'll transform healthcare. So literally, um, you could get through that system and then you were in line with everybody else. Or if you wanted to radically collaborate with us and have us co-develop something with you, where we would invest in you and, and, and we would eventually gain some equity, that would come in through the innovation people, people like Elizabeth, and the guy named Larry Merlis, who led our innovation pillar, and others. And, and, and that would get directly to me. You know, um, and if you ever lied about it and said, oh, yeah, we want to radically collaborate and, do it, and you're really just selling me something, then, then you know, you are going to be at Jefferson. So, so that, that, that became a really interesting way of, of, of making it clear to folks. Any, any more specific sort of tactical advice that you're finding yourself giving to the folks that you're uh, mentoring now? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, first of all, uh, like almost be a private investigator for who you're talking to. Because, you know, I, I, if you have one deck, you know, and you're going to talk to Jefferson and Deck Medical Center and, you know, Intermountain and HCA, you're, you're doomed. Right. So, you know, you know, the, the people that, that, that got to me, Googled me, did not have the first six slides be, digital health is really going to be an important thing. Most CEOs don't, you know, I mean, you know, if, if the first four slides were that, I was, I was out of the room. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's number one. The second thing is to really get a feel for, you know, who's the decision maker? And, you know, I, people will tell you that. I mean, what, you know, whoever, you're, whoever got you into this meeting, who's the decision maker? If it's a CIO um, who's been infected with the epidemic, you know, of Epic will do everything, you know, that's going to be a very different conversation, you know, than if you're talking to a chief digital officer. So for, again, in, 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 in our world, we had a chief digital officer who ran something called DICE, Digital Innovation and Consumer Experience. His name was Neil Gomes. And he, his whole job was to look at what are those big, bold, hairy, audacious things. So, you know, it, there's almost nothing you could do that he would have thought was ridiculous. By the same token, we had a CIO who was also an excellent guy, Nasser Azami. But he had to do like 12 epic installations thanks to all my mergers. So, so while he was very innovative, you know, he had to make the trains run all the time. So you, you just needed to know that. Like, is Neil going to be in the room? Is Nasser going to be in the room? Are both of them going to be in the room? So the more research you can do, more research you can do, um, you know, because frankly, I, 
just so you know, if you were coming to me, I was doing research on you, not just on your company, but what did you do before? You know, were you successful? Did you exit quickly? Um, you know, um, you know, because if you told me you were passionate about something and the last five things you did, you exited out in two years, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call that out. So I, I me that that's probably the best advice I I can give you. And then you know, obviously understand what the pain points are for the place that you're selling to. You know, um, uh, and you know, and if they just lost you know five hundred million dollars because nurses are five hundred dollars a you know a, a person, if you don't have something involved in workforce transformation, they might not be interested. If I'm I'm having a heart attack and my plastic surgeon calls me up that my liposuction can happen next week. You know, I'm not going to be interested right at that moment. So Steve, last month, um, we were with you at health and you know, they predicted 8,500 attendees. There were 12,500. They must've had four football fields of exhibitors of every type of business across every sector and every single stage. And 120 of our health transformers were there. So when you look at this mass of digital health humanity, what are the most impactful areas in innovation in the health system space? And how is this all going to sort out in 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 the next five years? Um, thinking about, you know, you're you're talking now to our health transformers. Well, look, I think I think what what I would say to, to all you folks is is take advantage of this sort of downturn in the bubble evaluations and look at who you have to get together with to really have no competitors. So I'll, I'll give you a real live example. Um, you know, in my general catalyst world, I've been looking at the readmission space. You know, you know, you send somebody home. What if you go to a health system and say, from zero to ninety days, they won't come back? Well, you know, we looked at eight point solutions. I'm sure some of the people I'm talking to are are, are some of them. But the eight point solutions aren't gonna that that's not what you want. You what you what what if those eight got together? They don't even have to merge. But what if they got together and had a readmission sort of answer? So for example, if I send somebody home with congestive heart failure on a low salt diet and they're a single mom of three, I don't need a coaching thing. I don't need a you know hospital home. I probably need food as health for 90 days because they're going to order Domino's pizzas for sure that for, you know, three times that first week. Okay. So that's that. Then I might need, you know, a coaching group, you know, to, to see what else there is. And then by the way, if they need IV antibiotics, I'll need a hospital at home piece, but I don't want to have eight different apps for that. So I think what you're going to see in the, in this next iteration is folks getting together and creating, you know, a full, full line dashboard that, that, you know, uh, I'm an advisor to AI Doc, which is you know really two of two of my worlds because it came out of Shiba Medical Center, where I'm the North American ambassador and general catalyst of best AI Doc. It's been one of the most successful companies to come out of Israel. It's a radiology AI company, so they can continue along there and just literally be the place the radiology for us. Or we can start to think about how do we use our AI technology to go horizontally, because as long as you're within radiology, there's going to be competitors. If you if you start to go horizontally, and I think that's the lesson of Obongo, right? I mean, you know, look, I mean, Obongo in a different time got sold for eighteen point four billion dollars to a company that is now combined worth about three billion dollars. Okay, so the issue is, you know, is being a point solution for diabetes is not enough. 
So, you know, my, my, my advice to founders, and I think, I think one of the things that will be really exciting, and I'm actually part of this movement, I think we want to start to see innovation GPOs, because what's not fair to the folks that are listening to this, that you have to knock on every depressed hospital CEO's door. That's a real, I mean, you know, since fuller brush salesmen back in the 50s, nobody's had a more efficient, inefficient way of, of doing things. And, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when GPO started because I could buy a, you know, a, a laser for a million dollars at Jefferson and they could buy it for $500,000 and we all banded together and, you know, said, you know, let's create the Vizians of the world and the, you know, the VHAs of the world, the, the premiers of the world. I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see strategic partnership and innovation GPO. Uh, and not only do I think that, I know that because I'm, I'm part of mm-hmm. helping to develop them. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you heard that General Cass Catalyst just created a, a, a strategic partnership with 15 different health entities ranging from HCO to Wellspan. That was announced at HLTH. Um, at A16Z just announced a strategic partnership with Bassett. But I think you're going to start to see literally large amounts of systems as, as GPOs saying, here's a problem I have. Let's take data. I want, I want trustworthy, actionable data. Uh, um, and, um, they'll start to, this innovation GPO, just like they do for medical devices, will start to say, um, okay, well, here's a couple opportunities for you and, and we will ferret it out and we'll see if they're trustworthy and then we'll present them to you. And then maybe there's an opportunity for you to work with them around equity and co-development in a, in a true, uh, you know, strategic partnership model. So to me, That'll be one of the, I think, the big advances that'll make things easier. It also ferret out, you mentioned those 900 exhibits that were at HLTH that were spending a million dollars in dinners and banners of which, you know, 70% might not be around. So if you had that innovation GPO, well, let's take hospital and home, right? There's about 10 different companies. You know, we need to get it down to about three. And, you know, if you had an innovation GPO, they would have ferreted out some of the companies that weren't going to make it. Or at least, you know, some of those early companies would have had to sell out to, to some of the larger ones. And then you could start start that process. And then maybe Premier goes with Medically Home and Vizient goes with, you know, with with um uh uh with 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 Maribel or something like that. But the health systems are part of it. The interesting thing about GPOs is they're health system owned. One of the companies that I'm on the board of called Avia. Is is in essence health system owned. Sixty two health systems that um that use Avia to help them get from here to there in in, in the in the virtual world and in the new innovation world. So I think I think that's where we need to get to. Um, and what it means for founders is yet you, you can't just be a one point solution. Um, and what it means for us is that we have to figure out an easier way for you to gain access into the traditional healthcare ecosystem than just going through. You know, one hospital at a time. Dr. Clasco, quick follow-up just to kind of peel back this idea a little bit. I think the folks on the call will understand the the need for integrated solutions over point solutions. You mentioned that it doesn't have to involve massive acquisitions, that these can be uh, collaborations that are maybe a little um, looser, a little less formal than a full sort of roll-up acquisition situation. Um, so then in that case, the devil's in the details in terms of how do you sort of get into that positioning. So what's your advice to founders if they're thinking about, okay, 
tactically, how do I how do I set myself up to be in that kind of a um, a collaborative environment? Yeah. So I think what I'd say is, you know, I think you always have to look in the mirror and say, what am I? You know. So first of all, you know, get some advice, and most of you have advisory boards, but you know, it's something that I do. Get some advice and say, look, you know, what's the most realistic thing that's going to happen to this company? Is this really going to be a company that, on its own, can, can solve a major problem in healthcare and can and, and will have the runway to go the five or six years, especially nowadays, that it will take? Or are we going to? Is our best move as an Intel inside company um, that you know? And because who you're selling to becomes pretty different. If you're an Intel inside company, you might be selling to some other other you know startup entities that are further along, right? So. You know, I was on. I was uh, an advisor for Cedar, which is the digital payment billing company, one of their first advisors. And then I got on the board. I was asked to be on the board of UDA. And you know, I went to Florida with Cedar. You know, uh, they were sort of Venn diagram competitive. And you know, so I, I got off the advisory board of Cedar and went on the board of UDA. Best way to look at, at 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 Cedar is they were doing digital payment building mostly for health system providers. UDA was doing it for the insurers. Uda was starting a company to, or, or a subsidiary to go and compete with Cedar on the health system side. And Cedar was uh, starting a subsidiary to go and compete with Uda on the insurance side. At some point, they realized that a lot of their clients were saying, hey, Judy Faulkner is saying Epic's just going to do it. Now, whether or not that would ever happen, they recognized that their best, their best path was actually getting together. But, you know, so that's one model. And they did that. And, yes, in essence, Cedar acquired Uda. But the other model is to start to think as say, you know, is, so is my, is my point solution, I can sell that as a point solution, but if there's a medically home, let's say, so there's a company that, um, out of Israel, that's done a really good job of connecting people that are leaving the hospital health systems with long-term facilities and that kind of thing. It's a huge problem for health systems, right? It could take three days to get somebody out of your hospital. To a, to a skilled nursing facility long-term. Well, you know, I connected them with a readmission company, which had nothing to do with them. But they actually started a collaboration where they start to sell together. So now I'm a CEO that says, I got two problems. I got, I got the problem of the people that need to go to a skilled nursing facility, and every day they send in my hospital, it's costing me like $20,000. I've got a totally unrelated problem about people that I'm sending home that come back to my hospital, you know? And there's all these people that are saying, hey, I can help you on this. Uh, hey, this company's coming to me. It's not, it's not one company, but they're coming to me together and say, I can solve that whole problem for you. We want to be the place that you know when you're done giving the acute care, you're going to have the most efficient way of dealing with that. So that's an example of two companies that have started to, for lack of a better word, co-market. And, and maybe they'll get together, uh, or maybe they won't. Uh, but it was a differentiator for me. Um, I'm seeing that a lot in, in women's health. Um, you know, there's infertility companies. There's first trimester companies. I'm an obstetrician. There's second trimester companies. There's remote obstetric monitoring companies. You know, and the companies that are really, really, really made it are, are, are the companies like Maven that have been able to say, we want to be your women's health company. And by the way, we'll... We'll subcontract, if you will, with some of these 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 other things. I, I love that, and you're speaking our language because you know when we bring folks together at the Startup Health Pavilion 
at health, the, you know, the whole hope there is that there's going to be this cross pollination and folks figuring out ways. And we saw it happening in real life in, in really exciting ways and some surprising ways too. You meet someone, you say, you know what, you can plug that into what we're doing. And since we know you and we trust you, this is going to be a solid working relationship. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers around the world who are dedicated to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 450 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.